Good morning. Uh, my name's Chet. I'm one of the pastors here. Grab your Bibles. Go to Exodus chapter 23. We're working our way through the book of Exodus, and we're studying Exodus, and we're trying to, as we go through, ask... What does this mean for Christians? How do we learn from this? How does this point us to Jesus? What, how can we grow as God's people as we study this? And we're going to look at a section in Exodus today that I think would be pretty easy to read. If you were reading through the book of Exodus on your own, I think it'd be pretty easy to read and not give it much thought and just keep right on moving. But I think that it's very interesting that while God is giving the law and training this nation is what it looks like to follow him, that he gives them what we're going to look at today. This past week, I was assaulted. Um, there's a person in my community group named Parker Bramlett, and after our group met, he was talking to us. A handful of people had left, and there's only a few of us left, and he was talking to us about he's got a fight coming up. He's been practicing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And so I said, you want to show me what you got? <laughs> Which he, he agreed to so quickly. Uh, it seemed as if he had been wanting to beat me up for some time. And so we went into my backyard and, uh, you know, scoped out the spot. And then he told me a few things about how we were supposed to start. And then we rolled, which is what it's called. It's not called wrestling. It's Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You roll. And so we rolled. Um, and there were a couple of times where it was very evident, if you were watching us, that one of us had been practicing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. <laughs> and one of us had been watching TV on his couch. <laughs> Um, <laughs> at one point, I did something. Uh, I kind of shot in to grab him, and he, he leapt onto me. And I had two thoughts pretty quickly. One was, oh, no, he was very prepared for me to do that. And the second thought was, I cannot breathe. Um, and so... Uh, it, it, was, it was over pretty quickly. That evening, I was sitting on the couch holding my neck going back and forth like this after he had left. I was like, I hope I'm going to be able to move my head tomorrow. And my, my sweet wife, I was sitting you know, over there, and she's looking at me, and she said something. And this is a paraphrase. I don't remember her exact words, but it was something along the lines of, you're dumb, and this was your fault. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the things that we practice... The things that we rehearse, the things that we repeat, become the things that are ingrained in us, that become the things that are a part of us, become the things that stick with us. The things in your life that you're best at are the things that you've rehearsed. They're the things that you've practiced. They're the things that you've repeated, the things that you've done over and over again. And some of these are mundane tasks that you've repeated over and over again. Some of these are bigger things, but I mean, I, I'm willing to bet there are some of you that still remember a poem that you learned in middle school, but it was because you had to say it in front of everybody. Some of you still know lines from plays that you were in in high school. Some of you still know plays from sports that you were in that you practiced, you repeated them over and over and over again. And we're going to see that God, on a very zoomed out level for the nation of Israel, gives them things that they're going to repeat. He gives them things that they're going to rehearse so that they'll remember and so that they'll become a part of who they are. He builds in practices for them, commands practices of them to build into them who they are as a people. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's pray and then we'll, we'll jump into the text together. 
God, we're thankful that you rescued a people out of slavery and that you taught them what it meant to belong to you. And we're thankful that as we study that, we get to see that you've done that all over again gloriously through Christ, that you've rescued a people for yourself out of slavery and that you're at work in teaching us what it means to belong to you. So may we grow in that together this morning in humility and worship to your glory. Amen. Exodus chapter 23, we're going to start in verse 14. Now, we're going to look at verse 14. It's starting at about verse 10 as he's finishing up some of the regulations of the law where he's telling them, this is how you'll act. This is how you'll handle things. This is what you do if someone steals. This is what you do if someone murders. He reiterates the Sabbath, which is a weekly practice of rest. And in it, he talks about you're going to rest so that you might be refreshed. And so he builds in this pattern of rest for them every week, which is significant when you consider that these were slaves, that God is adopting them and teaching them what life is going to look like as they belong to him. And as slaves, they used to belong to Pharaoh. They used to belong to the Egyptians, and their value came from their productivity. But God says, no, you belong to me now, and you're going to rest. You're going to have normal patterns of healthiness. It's almost as if you considered someone who was adopted out of a very difficult situation into a home where there was peace, where there was joy, where there was going to be food today and food tomorrow. And the parents are teaching them, no, that's, you don't have to stick that in your pocket. You don't have to hide these things from us. You don't have to act this way anymore. This situation's different. And that's some of what God's doing with the people of Israel. He's saying, no, no, this is how we're going to act because you're in a better situation, because you belong to me now. And so as he's doing that, he says this, verse 14, three times in the year, you shall keep a feast to me. Now, in the Old Testament, there's two Hebrew words that are translated feast. And uh, the best way I, I could think to think of it is, is there's like a lowercase f feast and a capital letter f feast. So there's feast, which means eat a lot, have a feast. So this is the book of Esther. Uh, Ahasuerus has a feast. Then Esther holds a feast. It just means we're going to eat a lot. Then there's the capital F feast, which is these commanded feast, festivals, holidays. And so these include the idea lowercase f, feasting, but they're bigger. And this word here, when it's used, is always referring to these specific ones that God has commanded. So, three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread as I commanded you. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it, in that month, you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest, of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. Okay, a couple of things on this as a whole, and then we're going to walk back through what each one of these was about. Three times the entire nation of Israel stops and holds feasts. But these were feasts where they had to gather. These are the pilgrim feasts. They had to go from wherever they were to where the tabernacle was or eventually where the temple was. So all productivity stopped and all the males had to show up. Now, there's a couple of reasons why it's all the males. 
Um, one is the males led in worship in their civil society and in the household. So he's saying, y'all are going to lead in this as well, which is a part of all of those things. You're going to lead your family well. You're going to lead the nation well. You're going to lead in worship well. You're going to lead well in all of you are going to present yourselves before me. This did not exclude females. They were invited. But there was an invitation for females and an obligation for males. Just some practical things. Men don't get pregnant or nurse children. And so there would have been times where it would have been very difficult for uh, women to be able to travel and do this. But we do see that all families at times would worship in this way. We see that throughout the Old Testament. We see it with Jesus' family. His family was there. So it's an invitation to females, but an obligation for males. The other thing that goes along with this, all males will appear, is that they will have no defense of their nation. If you read through the Old Testament, they were consistently losing land, losing cities, reclaiming land, reclaiming cities. And there's a promise in Exodus 34 where he says, you're going to appear before me and no nation will covet your land during this time. Because it would make a lot of sense if you were someone who hated the Israelites and you knew three times out of the year, all the men are going to be gone for about three weeks. They've all got to travel into Jerusalem. They've got to hold a feast for a week. They're going to be there. Then they're going to have to come on back. That would be the time to attack them. And God says, I want you to trust me that I'll protect you. That ultimately you're going to live out, you're going to embody that your protection comes from me anyway. I need you to trust me that your protection comes from me, not from you. You're all going to appear. And so three times they had week-long Feasts. Now, most of us have jobs where we might get two weeks of vacation, three weeks of vacation. Maybe over time you build it up. This was built into the nation of Israel that they were not just going to have vacation. They were going to have feasts, worshipful celebrations for weeks at a time. And this is just the three pilgrim ones. They had other ones that they would have to celebrate throughout the year. These are the ones they had to all show up together. That God built into them this pattern of worship and celebration. So let's look at what each one of these was doing as they were rehearsing and remembering what God had done for them and who he was. So go back to verse 15. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread as I commanded you. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. Okay, so this is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or it's also called Passover. And this is a remembrance feast. The reason that's their first month of the year is because it's the month that he rescued them out of Egypt. So they're going to hold a feast that's going to celebrate what God has done for them. At the Passover, judgment was coming on Egypt. And the people of Israel were told, you're going to take a lamb, had to meet certain specifications, had to be without blemish, had to be a certain age. And you're going to sacrifice this lamb, and you're going to paint your door with the blood of the lamb. And you're going to stay in your house. And when judgment comes by, it's going to pass over you because the blood will stand between you and judgment, and it'll keep you safe. But if you don't do this, if there's no blood between you and judgment, you will receive judgment. And it was at this time... That very night, when this happened, that God rescued them out of slavery. And he says, you're going to gather as a nation forever and celebrate you've been rescued out of slavery and that judgment passed over you. And they 
had certain parts that went along with that. They ate unleavened bread because they didn't have time for it to rise. They made the bread, but they didn't have time for it to rise, so they had to go ahead and cook it. They had to eat it quickly. So when they would eat this, some of the practices they had meant that if anyone asked, why are we doing this? Which if you have children, they ask, why are we doing this? Why are we sacrificing a lamb? Why are we eating unleavened bread? Why are we having to go? How long are we going to be there? Are we there yet? All of these kind of questions. And they had answers. The reason we eat unleavened bread. The reason we sacrifice a lamb. Which might be different from some of our holidays. Why are we bringing a tree inside of our house? Because it's Christmas. Okay, but why are we putting lights on it? I already told you it's Christmas. Yeah, but why? Hey, eat some candy and shut up. <laughs> like, we might need to grow a little bit in some of the practices we have, but the, they had reasons behind all of the things they were reenacting, and that was that feast. And we're told that they celebrated it in Second Chronicles, and a couple of the things that they said was that they celebrated it with great gladness. And that the priests and the Levites were daily singing with all their might. Which I don't know if you've ever done that. Sung with all your might. But it's actually one of the most wonderful things about being a human. And if you're ever singing with all your might in the light of the Lord, it's excellent. And that's what they were doing. Verse 16, the second one they had. You shall keep the feast of harvest... Of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. All right, so this feast of harvest is kind of a two part feast. They had the feast of first fruits that would actually take place during the Passover feast. And what they did was with their barley and grain harvest, you were not allowed to, to eat any of the barley or grain harvest, any of the new barley or grain, until you had first brought together as a nation the first bit of barley and grain and presented it to the Lord. They actually would take the first sheaf of grain and wave it to the Lord, and then they would sacrifice his uh, food offerings to the Lord before they were able to eat any of it. Now, if you've been waiting a long time for your barley and your grain to show up, and the first bit of it shows up, you're going to be tempted to eat that or to save that. You're probably not going to be super tempted to devote all of that to the Lord. But the reason they did was because they were saying, this is a down payment. This is a promise that God's the one who provides for us, that he's the one who's in charge of the harvest, that the rest of this stuff will grow, won't get blighted, won't get eaten, won't get locust, won't get stormed, won't get knocked down, that the rest of this will actually will have a harvest. And so they would bring this, and it was a down payment in faith that God was going to provide for them. And so they did that. And then seven weeks or 50 days later, they had what was called the Feast of Weeks, because it was seven weeks, or Pentecost, because it was 50 days. Same thing. So the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of the First Fruit, and the Feast of Pentecost is all the same thing. Then they would get together and celebrate and eat and worship together for a week. And they would have all these sacrifices that were going on that were uh, sin sacrifices and sin offerings and food offerings. And they would celebrate that the wheat and the barley that they first waved, that God had fulfilled his promise, and they would celebrate together at Pentecost. It's actually also, Pentecost is the same time when the law is given. 
that was actually seven weeks after the first Passover. God gives the law, and then every year they're going to celebrate that God provides for them both at the Feast of the Harvest, which would be Feast of First Fruits, to Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. In Deuteronomy, for the Feast of Weeks and for uh, the Feast of the Ingathering, they're commanded to rejoice, which I think is very helpful because if you're reading some of these, you might would ask, what's the tone? How are we supposed to approach God? And he says, hey, in this house that you've been adopted into, we're going to celebrate. And the things that you would celebrate anyway, like our harvest has come in, I'm going to celebrate with you. We're going to celebrate together and delight together in provision and protection and guidance. Back half of verse 16. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. So this was olives and grapes, and it was the end of the harvest uh, season. So it's not the end of their calendar year, but it's the end of the harvest year. And so at the very end of the harvest year, they're going to have another week-long feast. And this became, it's the feast of ingathering, but also... Because they rebel against God, I don't want to ruin the rest of Exodus for you, but they rebel against God and then they have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. It also becomes the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, which would be like the Feast of Tents. They, they go stay in tents. They camp out for a week together to remember that in the ingathering and in their wandering in the wilderness that God provides for them. So they rehearse and reenact as a nation for a week that God is the one who provides. God is the one who protects. And so they, as a whole people, yearly, weeks at a time, had to rehearse over and over again, had to remember over and over again, our God rescued us from slavery. Our God pays for our sin. Our God is the one who provides for us so we can trust him that he'll take care of us. Our God is the one who protects us and gives us all good things. We celebrate and rejoice with our God. And they did this over and over and over and over again. God specifically commands to them, this is what it's going to look like as y'all belong to me. Now, we're Christians. So what do we do with that? First, we don't have to practice the feast of Passover or in gathering or first fruits or booths. We don't practice those things. We don't have to do that as a people who belong to Jesus. There's specifically that kind of question. What do Christians do with the law is asked repeatedly in the New Testament because it was a bunch of Jewish people who the Christ came out of the Jewish people and it was a bunch of Jewish people who were then seeing that Gentiles, non-Jewish peoples were becoming Christians. And so they were asking, hey, what do we do with the law? Because the Holy Spirit's rescuing people. They're believing in Jesus. What do we do with the law? In Acts 15, they get together and they have a whole big meeting that says, what do we do with the law? Do these people have to submit to circumcision? Do they have to submit to the law of Moses? Peter at one point stands up and says, why would we put on them, first of all, the Holy Spirit has already redeemed them and already given them faith. Why would we put on them something that we and our fathers could not stand under the weight of? We believe that they'll be saved by the grace of Christ just as we are. 
And so the law is fulfilled by Christ, but does not come to us in full force. And we talked about that two weeks ago. We talked about it some in part last week. We'll probably keep saying it as we go through the book of Exodus. So it's fulfilled for us. So what do we do with this? Paul actually says this in Colossians. As he's talking to people. He's talking to a church that had Gentile believers and Jewish believers. And they're dealing with some of how do we work this out? What does it mean to follow Christ who is the Messiah? He's the Jewish Messiah. But are we supposed to still follow the law? Paul says this in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now, that therefore is coming after, it's coming in conclusion, you can go read Colossians 2, it's coming in conclusion to a big argument he's making, which is the mystery has been revealed. The mystery is Christ. That all of it is in Christ. And so, as we try to follow him, he's what it's about. And so he says... With regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Basically, with regard to the Jewish calendar. No one passes judgment on you with regard to this. These, these practices that God put in place are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. They were ultimately meant to be markers that prepared and pointed to Jesus. That's what they are. So let's talk for a second about the substance of these belonging to Christ. And then we'll just talk about how do we get to, as Christians, respond to what it looks like for us to remember and to rehearse what it looks like for us to belong to Jesus. So, Jesus is crucified on the Passover. Corinthians tells us he is our Passover lamb. He's the blood that covers us, covers our household, stands in between us and death, stands in between us and judgment. He is the sacrifice for the people of God. There is no other one to come. It is Christ. He's the high priest. He's the sacrifice. He's the one who has rescued us. He is our Passover. We're also told that he is the first fruits. This idea of first fruits is used three times in the New Testament where they're just taking, you know, that concept of first fruits. Here's how this applies to us. We're told that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, meaning that we can look at him and know because he rose, we'll rise. We're also told that the Holy Spirit at work in you now as a Christian is the first fruits of what's going to ultimately happen, that he's going to rescue and redeem and make you whole completely. We're also told that the new believers in the church at the first century were the first fruits of us, that they were a promise of what was to come, that more people were going to be rescued by Jesus. So they just take this idea of first fruits and keep saying, that's fulfilled, that's applied, that's at work. And the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, So where the law came and was written on tablets of stone, and ultimately, I don't want to give too much away, 3,000 people are going to die in rebellion. The Spirit falls, written on hearts, and 3,000 people are made alive. And God is fulfilling his work through the cross, through the calendar, through Pentecost, and he is fulfilling and being the substance of these in Christ. And then, in the Feast of Booths, We get to trust God where we are right now, that he's going to get us home, that he's going to provide for us, that he's going to make it, we're going to make it to the promised land. And in the end gathering, we, we, we believe that he's the one who ultimately provides all good things for us, that the substance belongs to Jesus, that our story is a bigger story, a better story, and that we belong under that. So what are you rehearsing? 
Christians aren't given a calendar. We aren't even given in the Old Testament a full Jewish calendar. So we're not meant to follow this. We're not told we have to follow these festivals. We aren't given any holidays. Whenever anybody's like, people have before said to me, you know, Jesus probably wasn't even born on the 25th. It's like, mm, good. You have disproven nothing according to the Bible because it doesn't tell us. So the odds are, if you, I mean, probably good. There's 364 other days, you know, so good. You did it. Like we don't, we're not told that we have to practice any of these. We're not told that we, we can. We're not commanded to. We're commanded to practice what we practice in faith. We're commanded to practice what we practice in joy and delight. We're commanded to be people who are under this story and rehearse this story. So let's just take a second and consider, what are you practicing? What are you rehearsing? Let's think about your day. I want to tell you all something about my day every single day. I'm a full-grown man. Yes, sometimes I get beat up in my backyard. <laughs> but I'm a full-grown man. And every day, I get all tuckered out. And I need to eat, and I need to sleep. Or I'm going to be pretty grumpy. Every day. I stayed up one time for 24 hours straight, and I hated it. It was the worst. I, we had a son at the end of the day, and that was fine. But it was a long day. <laughs> Every time in college, people are like, we're going to pull an all-nighter. I'm like, I'm not. If I'm dumb at 10 o'clock at night, I'm just going to be dumb at 9 in the morning. I'm not staying up for this. <laughs> you have to sleep. You have to eat. And you rehearse this over and over again. And in those moments, do you remember your strength isn't found in you? Your hope isn't found in you? Your provision is brought to you by God? Your protection is brought to you by God? And that you get to live under a bigger story and a better family? Every day. You think things every day, and all of us are mentally rehearsing things, and some of you are mentally rehearsing things that are contrary to the gospel. You are over and over again in your head. You would tell me if I asked you, do you belong to Jesus? You would say yes, and I would say, are you sure? And you would say yes, and then you would leave, and in your head you would say things to yourself like, I'm a failure, I'm the worst, no one loves me, I'm going to ruin everything, I mess everything up, I'm unloved, I shouldn't show up, they don't want me there. That's not the gospel. What are you rehearsing? Are you speaking and acting as if you belong to Jesus? As if you have a better story? As if you've been brought into a better family? Let's think about week to week. What's your life look like? What are the things that you're practicing over a given month? Do you have rhythms of rest? Where you remind yourself, I'm not a slave and my value doesn't come from my production. And in that, some of you really need to be challenged in that. You need to realize, I'm supposed to stop. I'm supposed to sit and be refreshed before the Lord in worship. Also, he says, six days shall you labor, and on the seventh you will rest. So in a given week, do you work? Are you productive? Do you spend most of your time just trying to rest, trying to be lazy, or do you use the talents and the abilities that God has given you to bless and to care for those around you in honor to God and in worship to him? Are you consistently daily or weekly praying, reading your Bible, rehearsing those things in how you follow the Lord? You've gathered here for worship. 
Is this a part of you delighting in Jesus and him rescuing you so that when we stand up and say Jesus is better than everything else, you actually are, are participating in that? Do you sing with all your might? Do you get swept up in delight of the Lord? Do you come here to rejoice in him? To be refreshed among your church family? Are you a part of a community group? Is that a weekly thing for you? Do you participate, walk in life with them? This is one of the reasons why we talk about we believe that we want to give good news before we give good advice. It's easy for Christians to hang out with each other, for you to say you have something going on, and then we all become like blog posts or TikTok videos about five steps to being a better whatever. Here's, here's 10 steps to dealing with a, with a dumb boss. And we just give each other a bunch of information. But what can happen, while that may be helpful, and while your TikTok video might have been excellent, we can inadvertently communicate to someone that their hope is them. But that's not the story. That's not the hope. That's not what we've gotten swept up in because of the glory of Christ. And so we want to give good news. Not we give good news, not good advice. We give good news before good advice so that we can frame up why we would walk in wisdom, why we would do these things, and how we actually get to live in, in relationship to Christ. But do you contribute? Do you participate? Do you love your community group? Is your community group just there for you, or are you actually walking in life with them? What's your weekly stuff look like? What's your, look, we don't have, most of us don't have a harvest, maybe of tomatoes, but most of us don't live harvest to harvest. We live paycheck to paycheck. Do you practice first fruits? Do you remind yourself that God is the one who provides ultimately for you? Do you take the time to surrender things to him in delight and in worship and in promise that he's going to keep this coming, that he's going to ultimately provide everything you need? That's one of the things that he means when he says, let nobody appear before me empty-handed. We're told later that people are supposed to do it based off of their means, but everybody's supposed to show up with something. So do you walk in generosity and submission to the Lord, rehearsing for yourself that he's ultimately who provides for you, not the job you have, not the health you have, but your king who's good? What does your week-to-week, month-to-month look like? One of the week-to-week, month-to-month things that we practice as a church family, and these are two of the practices given to the church for us to rehearse, baptism and communion, where we remind ourselves of our real story, that Jesus Christ rescues us. We got to celebrate baptism a couple of times over the past few weeks, and one of my favorite things is to get to talk to them and say, there's a reason why you don't baptize yourself. There's a reason why you go backwards. You're being buried in death. And then you get to rise again with Christ. And we're a stand-in for that as the church to help represent that you didn't do this, but that Jesus does this. We practice this together and celebrate this together and delight and rejoice in this together. When we take communion, it's a tangible reminder that Jesus was real and he really died for you and you really needed him to. There are times when you're taking communion and we, we dip it quite often. It's running on your fingers. I want you to remember his blood really ran. His body was really broken. And it was really what was needed for you. And it really happened. And you are covered by the work of Christ. One of the reasons we practice that regularly is because you will not outgrow your need for the gospel. You will not level up so that you can delight in not needing Jesus but we will walk as people humbly 
consistently reminding ourselves, Christ paid for me. I needed him to, and he did. I'm covered by him, just as they practice at Passover. That we remember our Passover lamb. What are the things you do yearly? What are the rhythms built into your calendar? And what are they celebrating? I think we need to think about what holidays do we celebrate? How do I approach vacation? How do we celebrate them? How do we reenact for ourselves and for our coworkers and our uh, neighbors and our children what this is really about? What does this look like? I, I, I got a couple ideas for you. When you look forward to vacation, is there a way for you to remember that this is a worshipful delight that you have? That your value doesn't come from your production and that your provision doesn't come from your job, but that you get to stop and rest and delight in the Lord? When we celebrate Good Friday and Easter, do you actually worship in that? Do you actually consider in that what that is? Do you pause during that to think and to rejoice well and to celebrate well and to be solemn well as we delight in the Lord? We celebrate things like Thanksgiving, which Christians ought to be the best at if we're going to celebrate it because we have way more to be thankful for. We have a way better story than the edited one that we've learned in elementary school. We got a way better one. We have a better country. I love this country, but I've got a better one. The most excited our church should be shouldn't be 4th of July. Yes, we should all buy fireworks. <laughs> But that shouldn't be all the things about. We should get to worship and delight in the Lord in ways that we get to celebrate. If you're going to celebrate a thing, celebrate as a Christian and remind yourself and remind your family, this is what this gets to look like and this is why this matters. So I've tried to think through that some for Christmas. Um, one of the things I do with my boys is we, I try to think through how can I help them remember this? How can we reenact some things? And so one of the things we do on Christmas Eve is I'll tell them that God made the world and he made it wonderful. And he made Adam and Eve, and we sinned. And when we sinned, death and destruction entered the world, and I cut off all the lights. And I say, it was terrible. It was dark. It was scary. And for a moment, everything was lost. And then I say, but God made a promise. And I'll light a match or a grill lighter or whatever, and I'll light a candle. And I'll say, for the longest time, there was just a promise. A promise that death won't win that sin won't win, that one day there's going to be a son who crushes the enemy's head. But that's all they had. It's a promise. And there were prophets who reminded them of the promise. And then Jesus was born, and light entered the world. And I'll tell a little bit of the story. I have a really bright light that I'll shine, and I'll say the glory of the angels are there, and everybody freaked out. And they said, Hosanna in the highest. We'll talk through some of that. Jesus was born, and then I'll say, and because of Jesus, he, I have that bright flashlight. I'll say he brought light into the world, and then ultimately everything gets undone and we turn all the lights on. And then I say, because he did this, life is sweet, so we're about to eat some candy. He, his coming was a down payment on the better things to come, the ultimate fulfillment of all God's promises. So we're going to open one gift and we're going to celebrate so we dance. Uh, usually, to the strife is over by citizens. I'm sure it'll change at some point, but that's a really good worshipful song. It's got some good dancing vibes to it. But that's to help my sons remember what this is about. We try to rehearse this. 
And so all I would say is, what are you celebrating? And how are you celebrating? What are you rehearsing? How are you practicing? We don't have an in-gathering. We do have tax season. Are you just annoyed? Do you ever take the time to look and see how much God's provided for you that year? What if Christians started taking some of their tax return to have a big meal and celebrate and delight in the Lord who provided for them all year long and to worship that he's going to do it again? What if we took some of our tax return and walked it out in generosity to those around us so that we could remember what this ultimately mattered, why we're here, what God's doing? What if we were the best at celebrating because we have the most to celebrate? What if we consistently rehearsed for ourselves the gospel so that it was what was in our mind and how we acted and how we lived so that we would be people who delighted in the Lord? There aren't a bunch of rules on how we're supposed to practice baptism, we're supposed to practice communion. You can celebrate Christmas or not, with or without a tree or not. I think you should. We should delight in the fact that Jesus came. You should celebrate the incarnation, but I, you can have gifts, no gifts. You can be holly jolly or not. There's no rules on that. But this is the command that I think should govern for all of us how this works. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So, Paul's talking about this, practices, what do we do, and how do we live out this together? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So, may we be people who sing loud, who celebrate and rejoice well, who rehearse and remember the glory of God in Christ all the days of our lives. Let's pray. Oh, God, we thank you that we have something to celebrate, that you redeem sinners, that you are our Passover lamb, that you are the first fruit of the resurrection, that we have a hope that lasts beyond this life. And as we follow you in our daily, normal, simple grind, may we remember that you're the one who provides, you're the one who protects, you're the one who redeems, you're the one who's given us a promised land, you're the one who gives us hope for a future, you're the one who's washed us clean, that we are not covered by our sin or our shame or what has been done to us, but we are marked by what has been done for us in Jesus. And may we worship and may we celebrate and may we sing and may we delight and may we, when we mourn, may we mourn as those who have hope to the glory of God in Christ, for your blessed name and your glory. Amen. The band's going to come back up. We're going to sing. We have a few more songs than normal so that we might sing and celebrate. We're going to take communion together. And in that, we're going to rehearse and remember that I am a sinner in need of a sacrifice. But praise be to God that Christ came and covered me. And this isn't about my work or my labor or my worth or my value or my morals, but it's about what Jesus has done. So I want you to take a moment. I want you to consider what are you rehearsing? Some of us maybe need to repent because we've been living and practicing in so many ways like Jesus isn't king. And our story isn't good. I want you to take a moment. And then when you're ready, I want you to take communion and rehearse and reenact what has happened for you in Christ. If you are not a Christian, 
communion is not for you. We're delighted that you're here, and we want you to know Jesus. We don't want you to rehearse and practice something that isn't true for you yet, but you are welcome to come to him and say, I need salvation, I need hope, I need forgiveness, and he freely gives it because he came to rescue a broken people to himself. So we would invite you to come to Christ and to trust him with your life. So in a moment, when you're ready, we'll take communion. There's gluten-free communion back there. And then we're going to sing together as a people who have something to celebrate.